This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 367. This podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's patented ingredient, Super Starch, has the remarkable ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. Fuel your next personal best with UCAN and save 20% on your order with code MTA Challenge. This episode is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. When you do something that you love, like running, you want to do it for life. So Inside Tracker will give you a clear picture of what's going on inside you through their blood test, and they'll offer science-based recommendations for improving your health. For a limited time, you can get 25% off their entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. That's insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. <laughs> Welcome to the MTA Podcast, where it's all about helping you go the distance. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we talk about issues faced by slower runners, tales from the back of the pack. Plus, we'll give you a quick rundown of the recent New York City Marathon. And of course, you can get all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more inside the Academy. Find out how to become a member when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. Well, I'm leaving tomorrow to go down to Richmond to run the uh, Richmond Half Marathon on Saturday. Excited about that. At the time of this recording, the New York City Marathon just wrapped up last weekend. Angie, just give us a quick rundown of how things went. Always some special stories that come out of the New York City Marathon. Yeah, that's right. It was the 50th edition of the marathon, so a very special number there. They had approximately 33,000 runners, which was about a 40% decrease from previous years due to trying to social distance more. And we've been following the story of Shalane Flanagan trying to do all six world marathon majors. And she finished New York City with a time of two hours, 33 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, She said, for the past seven weeks, I've fallen back in love with running, with racing and with the marathon. But nothing could have prepared me for what I felt today. It was my fastest. It was my funnest. It was my favorite. And uh, who were the winners this year? Well, on the women's side of things, Perez Jepchuchir of Kenya won. She may be a familiar name because she won gold in the women's marathon at the Olympics. Her finishing time was 2 hours, 22 minutes, and 39 seconds. She was only 8 seconds off the course record. Wow. So a great time for her. And all the, the first three women were all bunched up pretty closely. So that was really exciting. The second place was Viola Cheptu Lagat of Kenya. And third place is Ababel Yeshina of Ethiopia. And then Molly Seidel of the U.S. finished in fourth place. She ran two hours, 24 minutes, and 42 seconds and set a new American course record. That record had previously been set by Kara Goucher back in 2008. So a very exciting day for her. And it's really amazing considering that she broke two ribs a month ago. So just incredibly tough performance for her. Mm. And you will remember she took bronze in the Olympic marathon this year. On the men's side of things, Albert Career was first place from Kenya in two hours, eight minutes, and 22 seconds. Second place was Mohamed El Arabi of Morocco. And third place was Iab Faniel of Italy. And then we had four U.S. runners in the top 10. And there's also, every year, seems to be uh, celebrities that run the New York City Marathon. I must confess, some of these people I've not heard of, but doesn't mean they're not <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> Just means we're a little out of touch, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, but quite a few I have. So who would people know that uh, finished the New York City Marathon? Well, Chelsea Clinton finished her first marathon in three hours, 59 minutes, and nine seconds. 
Christy Turlington, who is a model and activist, finished in 4.01.20. Will Reeve, who is with Good Morning America, and he's the son of the late Christopher Reeve, finished in 4 hours, 11 minutes, and 51 seconds. Here's one that I was excited to see. Marcus Mumford. Yeah. The frontman of the group Mumford and Sons, my favorite band, finished in 3 hours, 53 minutes, and 22 seconds. And also one of his bandmates, Ben Lovett, finished in 4 hours, 18 minutes, and 29 seconds. We need to have those guys on the podcast and they can do a little impromptu concert for us. (laughs) They can write us a new theme song. That would be so cool. Yeah. (laughs) There was a bunch of celebrities who have been former Bachelor, Bachelorette participants. Of course, we're kind of out of the loop on that. Um, Kelly O'Hara, who is a Tony Award winner, sang the national anthem and then she went on to finish the marathon sub four. Tiki Barber, who was retired from the NFL, Finished his seventh New York City Marathon in 4.47.49. C.J. Hobgood, a world champion surfer, finished in 4 hours, 20 minutes, and 17 seconds. I love it how he's a surfer, and he finished in 4.20. <laughs> you know that was by design. That doesn't mean anything. Nicole Briscoe, who is an ESPN Sports Center anchor, finished in 5.35.16. And her husband, Ryan Briscoe, who is a professional race car driver, finished in 2.57.06. And then a big story was a duck named Wrinkle the Duck, a local celebrity with a large Instagram following, ran a portion of the New York City Marathon, and she even had her own custom-made sneakers on. How do they get that to happen? I don't know. Apparently, her owners made her these custom sneakers. Probably very cute to see a duck running alongside you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, And I've seen several video clips of Wrinkle the Duck. So if you need a pick-me-up in your day, Go Google that. (laughs) Okay, so how about a few inspiring stories that came out of this year's New York City Marathon? What else do you have for us? Yeah, one year after becoming the first person with Down syndrome to complete a full Ironman triathlon, Chris Nickick finished New York City in 7 hours, 12 minutes, and 20 seconds, and he previously completed the Boston Marathon back in October as well. And then Samantha Rodriguez became the youngest woman with autism to complete the marathon in 8 hours, 31 minutes. It's really a remarkable achievement given that doctors once worried that Samantha might never walk properly. Um, Samantha's mom is an avid runner, said Samantha's always been willing to push herself and try new things. And her mom said, athletes like her can do incredible things if they're only given the opportunity. Never give up on your child. You don't know what they can do until you give them a chance. Yeah, so true. And then a familiar name to many in our listening audience is Tommy Rivers Pusey, also known as Tommy Ribs. He finished in 9 hours, 18 minutes, and 57 seconds, a year after he relearned how to walk after battling a rare and aggressive cancer. Um, And he said, quote, that was the single most difficult athletic achievement that I've ever accomplished. Humans are incredible. We really are. We spend so much time focused on the broken and ugly and mean aspects that we forget that we are truly good and powerful and strong. At least we are always capable of those things. Every day and every moment, the positive aspects of our universal humanity are within our reach. Individually and collectively, there's always goodness and greatness within our potential. Good stuff. And we had quite a few people from our community, clients, members, people in our online groups who were there at the New York City Marathon. So here are a few shout outs um, from people just doing awesome things out there. That's right. This note comes from JP. He says, I did it. Four years ago, I was 400 pounds and now I'm a New York City Marathon finisher. Trust the process and love yourself first. The last six miles were both the best and worst experiences of my life and I wouldn't have had it any other way. 
This comes from Jeff. He says, I completed my 100K trail run. Thanks to everyone for all the positivity in this group. Thanks also to MTA, Trevor, and Angie. I started listening to MTA after I finished my first half marathon, and your encouragement led me to try a marathon, a 50K, a 40-miler, a 50-miler, and now a 100K. <laughs> Jeff, we're sorry that uh, we've got you into so much uh, so much Awesomeness. suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the journey and congrats on completing your 100K. That's right. Congrats to MTA coaching client Chad. He says, I had no plans to PR at the LA Marathon, but I got caught up in the excitement of an in-person race and got a new PR in my first sub five hour marathon. Thanks, Coach Lynn. And this comes from Julia, another coaching client of Coach Lynn. She says, today was one of the best days of my life. I ran 4.12.49 at the New York City Marathon, in no small part thanks to MTA Coach Lynn. This was a PR of over 58 minutes from my first marathon in February. I truly had no idea what I was doing before coaching, and I came to her saying I hope to run New York City in 4.30 to 4.45. Well, obviously that goal was smashed, and my body feels 10 times better than it did the first time. Whether you run, walk, or crawl, you must put the New York City Marathon on your bucket list. Strangers were screaming my name the entire 26.2 miles, and I don't think I stopped smiling once. Thank you, MTA. I truly ran a marathon and changed my life. <laughs> Love it. We so enjoy getting emails like that. Thank you, Julia, for sharing, and congrats on the massive PR in the marathon. I'm glad coaching has been working out well for you, and uh, keep up the great work. On this episode, we're going to talk about considerations for slower runners. We're going to do a replay from an earlier podcast that was first published June 10th, 2015. It was a popular episode back then, and I realize that a lot of you have probably not heard it, and it's an important topic to circle back to. Interestingly, Angie, listening to ourselves back then, you were talking about how you would love to break 3.30 in the marathon. Yeah, we were talking about how running pace and running times are all relative. And I was saying that I would never be an elite runner and that I would be ecstatic about breaking 3.30 in the marathon. Yeah. And little did I know that five years later, I would be able to break 3.20. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. You just never know if you're consistent um, and keep at it what you're going to be able to do. That's right. In this replay, we cover 11 issues faced by slower runners or back-of-the-pack runners. And then we share stories and short little blurbs sent in by back-of-the-pack runners who can identify with the struggle of being a slower runner and just keeping it real. So before we jump in, this would be a good time to thank Inside Tracker. If you haven't had a blood test in a while, Inside Tracker makes it extremely easy. You just go to their website, you pick what package you want. They come to your house. You can get a blood test, send it off to the lab, test it, and send you back your results. You have this awesome dashboard you log into where you can see how the data breaks down and also get recommendations on tweaks and stuff you need to make to your diet. The first time I had Inside Tracker test was 2016, and then I just had one this year, and I am surprised that I my inner age has dropped to uh, a couple years younger than my chronological age. My LDL cholesterol, that has dropped further from the risk zone uh, compared to 2016. Just having that look under the hood, as they say, uh, is really helpful. Yeah, that's right. I love being able to compare the data from past blood tests. And I found out, of course, that I need to be working more diligently on getting my iron groups up. So I'm kind of really focusing on iron-rich foods, as well as taking a supplement now, and you know, hope to see some improvement in the near future with that. 
Go to insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. Use our link and you'll get 25% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. Okay, well, this episode's all about slower runners. And Angie, you've cleverly titled this part, Tales from the Back of the Pack. That's right. So how did this episode come about? I had been thinking about doing a podcast addressing slower runners because, you know, a lot of the stuff out there is keyed to faster runners or getting faster and really sometimes don't address um, issues that slower runners have. And we work with a lot of slower runners in the academy. I have coaching clients who are slower runners. And so some of the things that they deal with are somewhat unique. And so I posted about this on Facebook and just got really an overwhelming response Um, People chiming in, sharing, you know, that they were slower runners or some of the pros and cons that come with uh, being a slower runner. So I thought this is probably going to make a really good podcast. And it was very educational for me as well. Some of the things that I'd never thought about before. So the big question to deal with first is what actually is slow? And this is very subjective based on your perspective. For an elite runner, anyone who doesn't place in a race could be actually considered slow. And there's that whole mentality of there's only one winner and the second place person is the first place loser, you know, kind of that very competitive mentality. And then you have your non-running friends that say, did you win the marathon? (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, no. (laughs) But for maybe a seven-hour marathon or a five-hour marathon is going to seem fast. So there really aren't any clear-cut boundaries. And this note comes from Lucy. She says, I'm not sure exactly what pace defines a slow runner. I read an article last year that defined a slow runner to be someone running slower than eight minutes per mile pace. In that case, I'm a slow runner. I think it's all subjective. I consider myself mid-pack with plenty of runners in front of me and plenty behind me. But it doesn't matter since we're all running the same distance towards the finish line with similar goals. Yeah, I think it all depends on if you look at the race results at the end of the marathon and you can easily see how you ranked. Like for myself... I usually, you know, consistently rank right in the middle. I would be a mid-packer. At the Marine Corps Marathon, I ran over five hours. I think it was like five and a half. I I felt like I was at the back of the pack. And some of you might remember that race recap. I had a pretty nasty uh, ankle sprain six days (laughs) before the marathon. And I just really took it easy, walked whenever I felt pain. But I was at the back of the pack. The people back there, there was a lot of anxiety about whether or not they were going to make the cutoff because at the Marine Corps Marathon, you got to make it to the bridge. And then on some of the out and back sections, I could actually see the cleanup crews <laughs> in the sag wagon. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm at the back of the pack. So yeah, if you look at it from a numbers perspective, then maybe the top 30% of the finishers in the race could be considered more toward the front. You know, maybe the middle 30 to 40% could be mid packers. And then the last 30% could be considered back of the pack. Of course, it depends on what race you do. Some tend to attract faster runners and some attract slower runners. For example, a seven hour marathoner who's in her 30s would be considered slower. While Harriet Thompson, who just set a record as being the world's oldest female marathoner at age 92, she finished in seven and a half hours at the San Diego Marathon. And that's considered, you know, amazing. Oh, yeah. So it just all depends on a lot of factors. In the responses that we received from people who perceive themselves as being slow, there was also a wide range of paces that were mentioned, anywhere from a nine-minute mile or like a 535 per kilometer to 15-minute per mile or like a 919 per kilometer. So there was just a wide variety of people who thought they were slower runners. I've seen articles about running before that basically said if you couldn't run faster than a seven-minute mile, then you were a jogger or shouldn't even be running. And obviously that's crap. We're not going to even consider that because (laughs) 
there's so much variety in the running community. And I don't think that's the attitude the majority of runners have. But there's also the assumption that every runner wants to improve their time and get faster. And that's interestingly not also the case. Many runners are perfectly content with their pace and they simply run and do races to enjoy the challenge or for social factors. Lena says, I'm a slow runner. My goal in races is to finish the race within the cutoff time and everything else is a bonus. It might seem a low bar, but strangely running a personal best is not necessarily a motivator for me. Running with friends, enjoying the race, and feeling healthy enough to finish the race are more than enough. I know I'll never be a professional runner, so why stress about my time? It actually stresses me out more when people want to compare times with me. You know, it highlights the fact that there's different motivations people have for running marathons. Exactly. Megan says, I'm a back of the packer and I think it works for me. I did one season of track in high school and I hated the pressure of running with people that were almost all way faster than me. Once I started doing it myself though, a world of options opened up. I could run to get somewhere, to do an errand or explore. I could run a long way if I practiced or run over lots of obstacles. I could run with a sense of competition against myself and try to improve on speed or time. Essentially, I feel like I have a lot of choices about where my priorities lie each time I do a run or a race. If I were faster or better at it, I think I would feel a constant pressure to do well, and it would be more stressful and less enjoyable for me. And I think this has a lot to do with my personality. For other people, I think the competition is very satisfying. However, the negatives of being a slower runner, the extra time is the biggest downer. My longest long runs take four hours and my marathons take five. I'm rotten at managing my time, so this has caused issues at home in the past, and it tends to kill motivation. The impact hurts pretty bad after five hours, and it would certainly be nice to get off my feet sooner. But the positives are there. Being at the back of the pack makes for more interesting people watching. You have and overhear some very interesting conversations and see a lot of personality in people's running styles. The costumes tend to be better back there, too. The parties happen at the back of the pack, man. (laughs) That's right. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some of the challenges and issues that are faced by slower runners. And these may not apply to every slower runner, so I don't want to make blanket generalizations. But some of these things did come up frequently in the responses that I got. And I also want to point out that we may go through different phases during your lifetime of running. There may be a variety of different reasons why you get slower or faster. And it's not like once you're a certain speed that you're always going to be that same speed. And I've gone through times in my life when I've definitely run slower, sometimes on purpose, like I was when I was doing heart rate training, um, other times when coming back from pregnancy, running in the heat and humidity definitely slows me down a lot um, at elevation. Or simply, there are times when I don't feel motivated to run faster. So there's definitely good reasons to run slower. And you're not stuck necessarily in that characterization the rest of your life if you don't want to be either. Okay, so we're going to look at about 13 different issues that slower runners face. And the first one is the desire to get faster. Yes, as it turns out, the majority of runners do want to get faster and see improvements in their time. And that's why every running magazine and website has multiple articles devoted on how to get faster or speed work, mental strategies, things like that. And we've talked about how to get faster on the podcast before as well. One common thing that holds back some runners from getting faster is poor running form. And there may be certain weaknesses and imbalances in the body that prevent you from getting faster as quickly. I've noticed that the majority of slower runners often have a lower cadence or your foot turnover or your strides when you run. Trisha says, my average long run pace is 12.30 minute per mile until this spring. Within the last three months, I've moved up to a 10.30 to 11 minute pace. My challenge has always been breathing. My legs can do it, but I hyperventilate. Now my issue is leg turnover. 
So a lot of people mention that, you know, when they run, their cadence may be only in the 140s or 150s, whereas around 180 is more ideal. And this is one of these things that I track and work on with my coaching clients. I'll often have them measure their cadence over a series of runs just so we can see where we're at and start working on improving that. Taking short, quick steps will improve your running efficiency and reduce the risk of injuries that can be caused by overstriding. So one great way to work on increasing cadence is by using a metronome app. And so you set the app to the desired beat per minute, which 180 per minute is ideal. And then you try to match your steps to the beat. And it can be very helpful to try this by running in place at first. So I tell some of my coaching clients to run in place for a minute at 180 cadence before they even start running. It kind of gives you a feel for what it's like to run at a higher cadence. So if you find that your initial cadence is, you know, 140, 150, 160, you won't get to 180 per minute right away. Work on incrementally improving your cadence. Get up 10 beats, um, and, and once you get to there, then work up too faster. And, you know, eventually you'll find that your running form, your running efficiency has improved a lot, and that will help make you faster. Maybe you can play a little 180 clip here. Should I play 180 right now? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. The second issue that slow runners face is carrying extra weight. Right. The more we weigh, the more the forces of gravity hold us back and the more energy we'll expend while we're running. Some studies have estimated that even five extra pounds of body weight can reduce our running performance by 5%. And that's why elite runners watch their weight very carefully. I remember we were at a session with Meb Kofleski and he was talking about how he was right at his racing weight before the Boston Marathon. And I think it was a whopping 121 pounds. <laughs> I instantly sunk in depression <laughs> yeah. after hearing that. Um, but the fact is that if you can reduce your body fat to normal levels, then it's going to improve your running to a certain extent. But we all know that talking about losing weight is much easier than actually making it happen. So it's one of those processes that you have to figure out a sustainable way to reduce your body fat and um, overall live the healthiest lifestyle that you can. And the third issue faced by slow runners is training takes more time. Right. As a slower runner, you're going to be on your feet for longer and you may run the risk of overuse injuries if you're not careful in your training. And also it just takes more time out of your life. That's one reason why I think it's really important to include focused low impact cross training into your schedule. Things like swimming, cycling, rowing, yoga, Pilates, strength training, and core training work neglected muscles and they can contribute to making you fitter and less injury prone. Um, Sharon says, at 63 years old and about 30 pounds overweight, my average easy run pace is around 15 minutes per mile. For shorter distances, I can hold steady around 14 minutes. My fastest pace is around 12.30, but it can only be sustained for a mile or so. One of the biggest challenges is being out there for hours longer than faster runners, which can add to overuse injuries. And most recently, having to stress over whether I'd be able to finish before the cutoff time brought a lot of added stress, possibly even contributing to the GI stress that ultimately kept me from getting to my goal of finishing the marathon. Also, I joined a local running group last year, but no one runs my pace, so I still end up running alone. Don't get me wrong, I get great pleasure out of running every day. I'm interested to see if I'm the slowest one out there. So what do you think, Angie? Is she the slowest one out there? Well, I would say there's many people who do long runs at a 15-minute-per-mile pace. Yeah. 
So, yeah. We've I heard mean, from lots of runners. Our friend Ed from Hawaii, who has run a marathon in every state, he, uh, he, he sometimes he runs at that pace. Yes, he finishes marathons more in the back of the pack and, and has a great time doing it. It's really made a lifestyle out of it. That's right. Really changed his health and fitness for the better. Yeah. So that, that's a good point, that even if you're running a 15-minute mile, you're still doing something positive for your health. And granted, like Sharon said, you got to be careful because you don't want to stress your body and your muscles and there's overuse injuries. But if you're smart about it, you know, even being a slower runner will have uh, big payoffs. Exactly. So number four is uh, fueling needs may be different for back-of-the-pack runners. That's right. When you're running for multiple hours, this may require some adjustments in your fueling routine. And um, Jenny says she loves this idea of doing a podcast on being a slower runner. She asked the question, do you fuel based on distance or time spent running? And so this is a good question. Yeah. You know, it's not like my fueling strategy for 26 miles is going to be the same as someone who's going to be out there for maybe six hours or longer. Right. You know, it's going to vary. And so you'll want to fuel for the time that you're out there, not the distance. So, for example, if you'll be doing a three-hour training run, you'll want to fuel at regular intervals with enough calories to keep you feeling strong, but not too many calories as that can cause GI issues. And simple sugar products can sometimes not be as effective for longer time frames because of the quick release of sugars. For example, using multiple gels can often cause the GI tract to get overwhelmed and it can result in bloating, gas, nausea, and diarrhea. So you'll want to be careful about finding a fueling strategy that works for you. There are some fuels out there that are easier on the stomach, that are better maybe for the marathon distance and ultra distance. And by the way, if you didn't pick up on GI, when we first started the podcast, I never even heard of the term, but (laughs) gastrointestinal. Yes, that can, the whole range of bloating, gas, nausea, diarrhea, the whole, whole nine yards. Okay, modern day Trevor and Angie breaking in here real quick to do a quick little you can blurb because this seemed like a natural place. Angie, you were just talking about in this recording how slower runners are out there longer and therefore they're, they can burn through more fuel. And so the sugary stuff that kind of gives them a short term spike is not the best. That's right. We have been using UCAN since 2013. Its patented super starch helps give you a steady energy level so you don't face the peak and troughs that many of the more simple sugar products will give you. And it can help you feel strong and avoid hitting that wall in whatever distance that you're looking to do. And we were also talking about GI distress. UCAN is famously gentle on your stomach. If you're out there for a long time, you want something that's going to agree with you. That's another reason why we love it. They've got a drink mix. They've got bars. They also have a really good almond butter. Check them out at UCAN.co forward slash MTA. Use the code MTA challenge for 20% off. UCAN.co forward slash MTA. Well, the fifth consideration is pacing strategies. As a slower runner, you're going to want to develop a pacing strategy that works for you as you'll be on your feet longer, like we've talked about a little bit earlier. And this may include using run-walk intervals to conserve your energy over time. Um, Edith says, this is a great topic. Many of the ladies that I'm coaching are slow runners, and some beat themselves up over that and seem to struggle with seeing the value of being a slow runner. As if you're more of a runner if you're a fast runner than a slow runner. I'm working with them to seek the feel-good feeling in running, tapping into the sensation of mastery, and to let go of the guilt that I'm not good enough. Although all of them are now able to run 8 to 10K distances without stopping, and some of them even did their first half marathon a few weeks ago, I'm considering taking some of them back to the run-walk stage and looking at more of a Galloway method, as I think this may be beneficial for their long-term fitness. 
I think their ability to drive themselves and also from an injury prevention point of view, the Galloway philosophy is great and it also opens up becoming a faster runner. And we did interview Jeff Galloway um, a few weeks ago on the podcast and he talked about his run, walk, run method. So, you know, if this is something that you've been thinking about uh, or never even heard of before, you might want to go back and listen to that podcast and also check out his website and some of his books about how to figure out the right run-walk, run strategy for you. And number six, uh, another issue is elitist attitudes that other runners can have. Unfortunately, there are always some people who promote the idea that you're only a real runner if you're fast. And we've talked about how this rubbish can come from some running publications and faster runners. But I really think this is the exception and not the norm. Most runners of all speeds are very encouraging and supportive. And so if you run into one of the bad apples, don't let their negativity affect you. Realize they obviously have other issues that are causing these bad attitudes toward you. And it's probably not about you at all. Um, Anne wrote and said, I love that you plan to do a podcast on this topic. Several years ago, there was an article in my local newspaper about how marathons needed to be more elite, and only those runners who could post at least three to three and a half hour time should be able to run them. This elitist mentality made me see red. I have so much respect for all runners, but particularly for those who aren't naturally fast, but persevere for five, six, seven plus hours on the course. All marathoners show grit and determination, but I argue that this group shows it even more so. Well, that would exclude me from running marathons. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Three and a half hour times. They'd get me on the sag wagon with that one. (laughs) You've you've done a three and a half hour marathon, Angie. Well, 335, so I would be at the back of the pack for that marathon. And there are some marathons. I think Osaka, Japan has one that you have to run maybe sub 330, sub 320. To even get in. To even get in. So, yeah, there's a few marathons out there that are really, really for more elite runners. Yeah. But that's the cool thing about marathons is that they really democratized the sport of running so that anybody can participate and everyone has the same miles to run and the huge challenge of doing it, carrying your own body and your own power over the finish line. So the ground is level at the finish line. <laughs> Hopefully. Except for the podium. At the Marine Corps Marathon, I think the last few meters you have to go up a hill. <laughs> it eventually levels out, though. So another issue slow runners face is time comparisons. And you explain what that means? Well, since running is a very numbers-oriented sport, it's hard not to fall into that trap of comparing ourselves to others. And I think we've all done that at some point. When I look at the times from elite and sub-elite athletes, it's easy for me to feel very slow almost likely never break the three-hour barrier in the marathon. Actually, I'd be ecstatic if I could break 330. <laughs> but this can lead to that compare and despair mentality. And well, I like that, compare and despair. Yeah. And Liz um, wrote in and talked about this. She says, I tend to struggle with placement at the beginning of a race, especially if there aren't any pace groups. I'm always nervous about placing myself too far up in the pack because I don't want to get in anyone's way. But if I place myself too far back, I do a lot of weaving. A lot of faster runner friends encourage me to run a tangent, but it's really hard to run in a straight line when you're trying to get out of the way or weaving around other people. I feel a lot less stressed out in the back of the pack, especially if I'm not running for time. I have a lot of fun encouraging people around me and listening to some crazy stories from my pace group. One of my fondest memories at the back of the pack was my first marathon. I was coming into the home stretch, running solo, and all the faster runners that had already finished helped clear a path for me by keeping spectators out of the way and making sure I stayed out of traffic. 
that was pretty awesome and it made me proud to be a runner. When I see my other runner friends placing in their age groups every weekend, it's hard for me not to feel slow. But another runner friend reminded me of the compare and despair thing. So that's it's a really great point that you can be back there enjoying yourself, having a great race, and then afterwards, you know, someone can be like, you know, what was your finishing time? Did you place in your age group? And sometimes people face discouragement, maybe someone who's older than them than passes them. You know, I've been passed by plenty of grandparents before, Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. I mean, I, I just really think it's amazing. It doesn't really hurt my self-esteem. Because I think, I hope I am still out here kicking other younger people's butts when I'm older. <laughs> it's wonderful to want to compete with yourself and improve. And, and that's very natural. However, you know, if you find that this competition takes the joy out of running and it's causing a lot of stress, it may be time to take a step back. If you find yourself not happy with the way a race went because you missed an age group placing or you don't PR every time, then you're placing too much pressure on yourself. It may be time to run technology free for a while or not dig into the race stats quite so deeply. Just accept what your time was and not worry about how you placed. Whatever you do, don't base your value as a runner on your speed or your placing in a race. Every runner has worth and should be valued in the running community like many of the people who've written in have said. And issue number eight is discouragement with getting slower as you get older. Yes, we did a podcast a while back on issues faced with older runners or aging. And one fact of getting older is that you will eventually get slower. Now, there is a period of years when you'll get faster no matter what age you start training. There's kind of this period of improvement. So if you start running at age 60, you know, you can improve for a number of years and set PRs. But eventually, you know, your body is going to start slowing down again. Um, Even though age is just a number, I've accepted that someday sub four hour marathons are not going to be realistic for me, you know, and hopefully not for many years. But you kind of have to think about why you run. Is it only to get faster or do you find other payoff factors in running? If you notice that your pace eventually doesn't improve despite a lot of effort, it may be time to focus on other benefits that come with running, such as friendship or traveling to races, staving off illness that comes from inactivity, maybe things like having more energy and the emotional and mental boost that results from running. And you don't have to give up on the desire to improve just because you may be getting older. And you may have come to running later in life and you think, man, I wish I'd started this when I was younger. There are still great things in store. You can always become a better version of yourself. And I think with age and experience can come mental toughness and maybe a greater appreciation of the ability to run at all, something that younger people can take for granted. And issue number nine that slow runners face is a lack of running and training partners. I think Sharon alluded to this earlier in her note that you know she had joined a running group and there was still no one who ran her pace, so she ended up running alone. And there are some running groups and clubs that are often geared toward faster runners, and you may feel left behind during track workouts or on group runs. So not every running club is for everyone. There are ones that are really competitive and may not be a good fit. But there are other ones that do cater to slower runners, things like team and training, which often help people train for their first marathon and have a lot of slower runners among their ranks, or Disney run groups. They often you know, have a lot of slower runners too. One kind of a cool thing about the group Marathon Maniacs I'm a part of is that a lot of them don't really care about their marathon times. It's more of a social aspect to their running. And, you know, they'll post pictures like, found a Dairy Queen at mile 25. And, you know, they're like (laughs) eating a blizzard for the last mile. And it's all about having fun and and social aspect of it and hitting up every alcohol stop there is along the way or whatever that floats their boat. (laughs) Oh, man. Issue number 10 is stressing out about cutoff times in races. 
That's right. And Erica writes in, she says, This is a silly little detail that bothered me at the Pittsburgh Marathon. Based on my expected finish time, I was put into the last corral. It took me 29 minutes to cross the starting line. Not being able to finish a race during the cutoff time is a real fear for slower runners. Often a race will have a cutoff time, which is then shortened because it takes time for the last corral to actually cross the start line. That happened at the Lincoln Marathon. That's right. I think they had a was a six hour and 30 minute cutoff time, but it took 30 minutes for the last corral to cross the starting line. Mm -hmm. So that essentially gives you, you know, six hours before they start shutting down the course and everything. It was different at the Marine Corps Marathon because it went by the chip time of the last guy to cross the starting line. Right. So they didn't start the cutoff until that point. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to do it. But, you know, sometimes the course has roads that can only be closed for so long. And then if you're out on the course longer, they don't have traffic control and you have to move to the sidewalks. Some races have been known to start taking down the finish line before the advertised cutoff time, which is definitely not cool. And I've had many runners report that they fear getting swept up in the sag wagon. So one nice thing about being able to look up details online is that it's pretty easy to find out a cutoff time for a race. And you can usually read reviews in places like Marathon Guide from other runners to see how the race actually handles slower runners. You know, if they say that the aid stations were all dry, you know, Mm -hmm. this is like a maybe, you know, six hours into the race, you know, the aid stations were all dry at mile 20 and they were threatening to pull me off the course or they shut the finish line down early. You can kind of find out these things pretty easily nowadays. So it can help you in choosing which races to do. Um, There's also forums like the Marathon Maniacs or the 50 State Group where you can get feedback about how the race treats slower runners. Um, There are some marathons that actually offer an early start option if you project that your finish time is over six hours. So you can actually, you know, get a head start essentially and not feel so pressured that you'll be pulled off the course. And in our quick tip today, like we talked about earlier, we'll give a list of races that are best for slower runners or walkers because they have a generous cutoff time. And issue number 11 is the fear of being last. Yes. And Mary Lee um, writes in, she says, My positive about being slow is not how many finish in front of me, but that I did finish. And an added plus is how many people are behind me. If no one's behind me, then I was just cleaning up the pack and making sure no one was left behind. (laughs) When I first started walking, everyone laughed and said, You are too old. She is 63 years old. I will show them. My first 5K was in February in 25-degree weather, and my pace was... 1440 minutes per mile and 750 finished behind me um so i thought that was kind of interesting she recently finished her first half marathon and she walked it and then she recently did a five mile race and took first in her age group way to go mary lee yeah that's that's really awesome the potential of being last can be a scary thing um i can definitely relate to that thinking well if i was gonna be the last one out there that would be all this attention to be on me i would feel rushed i would feel you know nervous about that Somebody's got to finish last. Yeah, and I've heard many people say that not finishing last is their biggest goal for a race. But if you look at it logically, finishing even last is better than, like you said, not finishing at all. Someone has to finish last. And I remember one lady who finished last said that it was actually very special. She said people cheered her on and there was a lot of support. It was really a memory that she cherished. And if you think about it, the person who finishes last often has so many more obstacles to overcome than those who finish near the front. Mm-hmm. So really, it could be a badge of honor. I know there are some races that kind of give a special prize to the last place finisher. <laughs> so most people who fear that they'll finish last don't actually do it. It's kind of like one of those, the things that we worry about don't actually happen. Right. So, you know, that shouldn't be a barrier to you getting out there. 
So it's probably not going to happen. But even if it does, it's not a dishonor to finish last. Yeah, it's not like everyone boos and hisses and don't, they don't give you a medal. Right. People are going to be genuinely excited for you. Like they're all looking at their watches, waiting to go home, waiting for you to come <laughs> in. I mean, maybe that could happen somewhere, but uh, we've never heard of it happening. Yeah, and I'm sure if that did happen, then word would quickly get around and that race would not be very popular anymore. <laughs> okay, and issue number 12, and this is a serious, serious one here, is um, sparse aid stations. Yes. Another issue can be aid stations sometimes run out of supplies or clothes towards the back of the pack. And actually the Tupelo Marathon that you just re-signed up for, we noticed abandoned aid stations after the 20-mile mark, and we were running an average pace. I mean, it wasn't fast marathon for either of us, but we were certainly right in the middle of the pack and just abandoned, you know, maybe a couple, like, lukewarm cups of water left. It was, <laughs> it was very dismal. I felt really sorry for the people who were coming behind us. Yeah, I think that the people that were manning that aid station, they didn't have any shade, and it was already like 90 degrees, and they're like, screw this, we're out of here. I don't know. <laughs> because, I, you know, you think people who are out there on the course longer need the aid stations even more. So this is another one of those issues that you can re- read reviews about to see how the marathon stocks and staffs their aid stations. Um, race directors really need to make sure that the aid stations are fully stocked and staffed for the entire time the course is open. Um, If you're unsure if the race is going to have aid stations open, then be sure to carry some fluids and fuel for yourself. And I know some slower marathoners who don't rely on fuel from aid stations, which I think is kind of a a good philosophy for anyone. And carrying a small bottle of water, you can fill up at earlier ones just to have handy in case the later aid stations dry up. Actually, one of my coaching clients, who is a a solid middle of the packer just finished a half marathon in Tennessee yesterday and she said when she got to finish line they were all out of water no way she said they had Gatorade left but no water Hmm. so like hot hilly humid half marathon in Tennessee and they run out of water so definitely races need to make sure they plan for these kind of things Marty says, one of the biggest challenges of back of the pack runners in racing is that too many runners forget that no matter what your speed, there are plenty of runners behind you. My wife has walked many half marathons and reminds me of this every race. So in other words, when you get to the finish line, don't hog out on post-race finishing food because then there won't be any left for the people coming behind you. Exactly. I I think that's a great point. You know, so if you are, you know, mid-packer and if you finish the race, realize there's always people coming behind you. So don't take food for family and friends. Just take what you're going to need and consume and and be polite and respectful of people who are coming behind who are really going to need that stuff. This happens to us because sometimes we'll do a big marathon, like a rock and roll marathon, and I'll run the half and you'll run the full. So by the time the half marathon finishes, there's all kinds of great food. And then later you and I will talk and I'll be like, hey, did you did you get some of those brownies? You're like, what brownies? <laughs> all there were stale bagels. <laughs> half marathoners wiped it all out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there are some races that are really geared more towards half marathoners, sort of like the rock and roll series. And so you kind of get to know that you don't expect a gourmet feast to the finish line if you're a marathoner, even if you're run a fairly decent time and I can't imagine the people who finish in six hours or after what they face you know be dismal there could be a separate table for the marathoners this is the marathoners table with all their goodies on it and then like a staff that stands by it with a fly swatter to swat away (laughs) hungry half marathoners (laughs) right yeah and this kind of goes into our next issue is that the finish line gets shut down early 
Yeah, so issue number 13 in our list of issues faced by slower runners is the finish line getting shut down early. Yeah, often slower runners have fewer spectators along the course because people will leave after the person they came to cheer on has passed. Or I've heard of the race running out of medals. Maybe they didn't plan for enough people. Or sometimes having the food gone at the end, like we were just talking about. Aaron says, I'm a slower runner for longer distances. My marathon PR is 5.30, but most of my times are around the six-hour mark. At my first marathon, Chicago in 2010, they were taking down the course around me. I also finished last at a half marathon before. I didn't get down on myself about it, but I would like to get faster, and I am, slowly but surely. So I think it is sad when a race doesn't plan for food for all runners or plan for enough medals or whatever it is, or when faster runners clean everything out. And there are some races that are going to a bag of food. So each each finisher gets just a set bag of food to make sure that everyone gets enough and people aren't just loading up their pockets. There'll be a pint of ice cream in each bag. <laughs> you got to get there before it melts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember I did a the Deseret Classic Marathon in Utah Mm -hmm. and they had advertised a special ice cream at the finish line and lo and behold it was all gone (laughs) the food was pretty sparse at the end of that race I clearly remember I let let our kids eat that I'm sorry I you weren't even there that's for the runners (laughs) I had to drive myself to that one so you know these are some real issues that we've mentioned to think about for slower runners but there's also many positive things that come with being at the back of the pack So I don't want to leave this podcast on a negative note because each of the challenges that we talked about earlier can be overcome. And there are some really amazing things that happen at the back of the pack too. So now Angie's going to give you four positives when it comes to being a back of the pack runner. That's right. There's often more encouragement from other slower runners. I think there's a certain camaraderie at the back of the pack. People are often more laid back. They're less competitive and there's time to talk and enjoy people's company. Deanna says, one of the biggest positives for me is friendships. I've met a lot of people that I wouldn't have otherwise. I came in next to last at a 10K. A 73-year-old walked it with me. He's never missed running a day in seven years after his heart attack. Really a tremendous story, and he walked with me. I've seen him at races since then. I think that this is the most gracious sport that allows me to continue to challenge myself with my own rules and everyone else feels the same. It's not about winning. It's about challenging yourself to be the best that you can be. That's what happens in the middle to the back of the pack. Well said. And I'm sure listeners can think of times when they've really struck up conversations or been encouraged by people that are maybe slower. Even I like it when there's out and back sections and faster and slower runners can cheer each other on. I think that's really neat to celebrate each other's accomplishments. And the second positive is fun and costumes. Angie, what does that mean? Well, when you're not struggling to run as fast as possible or racing, there's much more potential for fun, I think. Joanna says, I'm totally slow. I average 11.30 minutes per mile during half marathons and finally, finally just ran a 10K under 10 minutes per mile. But I know even that pace is slow to most people. Some folks are naturally fast runners, so some of it is genetics that I'm slow, but not all of it. It's also the work I'm willing or not to put into speed work and hill training to get faster. I can make excuses about work hours, but one of my sisters has six kids and works and gets her training done. So if I really was motivated to get faster, I would get it done. It just isn't a huge motivator for me. I mean, my first race was a Disney race, so I'm more concerned about costumes and fun and big medals. (laughs) Also, I know that I hold myself back. There are good things about being slow. No one cares about time, and everyone in the back of the pack just wants to chat, make new friends, and have fun at races. 
Going fast is fun, but being carefree is also a great feeling. And Margaret says, when I'm doing really well, I'm a mid-pack runner and very happy there. The last couple of years, I'm more toward the back of the middle. I will say that I've met some of the most fun people at the back of the pack. I still like lining up at the back if I'm chip tying up at the start of a race so I can hang out with the fun people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just never know what you'll find back there. Exactly. People running with boom boxes. <laughs> yeah. So I think instead of getting down on yourself that maybe you're a slower runner, just seek to find ways to enjoy it. Um, to make friends and to encourage other people back there. And I'm sure you'll hear some amazing stories and be inspired and encouraged just to keep doing what you're doing. And the third positive is that you get your money's worth out of the race. Yeah, this is a great way to look at being slower. Since you're out there longer, you really get your money's worth. And then you still get the same metal and shirt at the end anyway. Mark says, as for me, I'm about as slow as they get. The problem is that while I am improving and have basically taken off about 90 minutes from my first marathon, I'm still so slow that most people who have been running for a few days can beat me. One of the cool things about running is that although some of us have much better skill sets than others, we can still relate through the training. A 20-mile run is easy for no one. We can all agree on that. One of the cool things is that when we cross the finish line, all our medals look the same. Another thing that I keep telling myself when I'm running, I am getting my money's worth. I pay the same amount as everyone, but I'm out there for six hours or more, and it may feel like days or years, but I'm getting my money's worth in a way that someone that finishes in three hours, he says, yikes, is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like when I'm not concerned about a time goal, they just sort of kick back and enjoy the scenery more. Yeah, I think some of my most fun marathons have been ones where I just ran it for fun. For example, like the Marine Corps Marathon last year, I ran it with my sister Autumn. And she's a slower runner than I am, so we just ran it at her pace. And I just enjoyed looking at things and, and being a sightseer and, and talking mm -hmm. to people. And, you know, it was just really fun experience. There wasn't any pressure on myself. And the fourth positive that we want to give you is as a slower runner, there's more chance for improvement. That's right. If your goal is to get faster, then as a slower runner, there's a bigger margin for improvement. And improvement can come in many different forms, not just measured by your pace. You can have improvement in your pacing strategy, in your fueling, in your mental attitude, maybe in the amount of races that you do. And one of the things I like about being a marathon maniac, and the half fanatic group is the same way for half marathoners, is that by and large, it's more of a laid back club. Most people are out there doing marathons because they love running and all the benefits that come with it. And there's more pressure to run more races, not necessarily to get faster. Yeah. So you can look at improvement in many different ways. It doesn't necessarily just have to be measured by your speed. Kim says, wow, so much to say and so little space. Pros, runners are supportive no matter the pace. Much better chance at seeing improvement and more time to think. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful. When we originally posted that in 2015, we put your show notes also on the blog. And there were a lot of great comments, people that came over and shared their story of being a slower runner and the struggle that they experience. Yeah, that's right. And one of one of the most frustrating issues that came up over and over again for back of the pack runners is when people make disparaging remarks about their pace or finish time. So something to be mindful of. You mean when someone's faster and they say, man, yeah, I ran a really slow marathon today. I only, I only finished in four hours. And here you are, like, that would be your dream time, right? Well, that and also making comments about how fast or slow you finished and saying, oh, look, that 60-year-old person beat you or whatever, you know, or you've been doing this a long time. Why aren't you getting faster? 
People do that? Yeah, they do. <laughs> and another big issue is races that will advertise a certain course time limit and then start dismantling parts of the course early on. Um, things like aid stations not being stocked for slower runners and the finishing area running out of food and drinks. That comes up over and over again. That was actually an issue at the London Marathon, which usually does a great job. Uh, when we did the London Marathon 2019, we heard from runners who said they started taking the course down early. Yeah, and it's just you know so demoralizing for that runner who was promised that it would be open for a certain time. They've paid the same price as everyone else, and they don't have the support that they need out there. And so we got some great comments over on the blog. We'll read a few of them. This comes from Windrunner. And it says, fast runners have hundreds of choices for running groups, events, etc. But slow runners are loyal for those groups and events that go out of their way to make us feel welcome. Hopefully race directors and coordinators get the message. The list of problems is true and too common. It chokes me up a bit when there is a solid crowd for the last runners. The Mm. chance to cross the line to cheers and run with others is critical to helping them keep running and improve their health and lives. Thank you for the article and helping to call attention to this. The community gets better when it includes more. I like it. And this comment comes from Jay, who says, thanks for the article. Not all back of the Packers are elderly and or in bad health. I finished my first marathon officially in six hours and 56 minutes. I've never been overweight and have been running for years. I'm 43 years old. There is nothing wrong with being slow. I still finished and even sprinted to the finish. Go slow runners. (laughs) And Melissa says, I really appreciate reading about slower runners and the issues we face because it isn't talked about enough. I started running at 37, I'm 45 now, and I've run 16 marathons in 14 states. I struggle with being proud and feeling embarrassed because I'm about 30 pounds overweight and I feel like people don't look at me as a real runner because of that. But the one benefit that keeps me signing up for the next one every time is that running has made a world of difference with my depression and anxiety. It gives me a purpose and a reason to believe I can overcome almost anything. Running is amazing therapy and the people I've met in the back of the pack races always inspire me to never give up. Awesome. Yeah, and if you'd like to leave a comment about your experience as a slower runner, head over to our website and look for this post, marathontrainingacademy.com forward slash slower dash runners. We'll also throw a link right there with the episode show notes on your phone. So you should be able to click, boom, and get to that. Also, if you like this replay, we have over 300 archived episodes in the Academy inside what we call the Podcast Vault. For our members, you can learn about joining uh, and becoming a member when you visit our site. And also, we want to remind people that we have some wonderful, experienced MTA coaches who specialize in working with slower runners and runners of all paces, to be honest. And they can really help you take your running to the next level and reach those goals that you have. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. You guys are awesome. Keep taking action in your health and life. It is worth it. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Well on my way, well on my way.